0: As I thought about the message today, and we were going to go through all of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We were going to spend time going verses 1 through 16. And then halfway through the message as I'm teaching, it just, it just doesn't, it's, it's not connecting. Something's not working in it. And through a series of discussions that I had throughout the week with different people, I really began to see that God was wanting something to be very different than I had been expecting. And so today, the actual the title of the message is Basic Missionary. And it's funny, I was on an airplane, golly, this was probably 10 years ago, maybe, maybe longer. And I had, I think it was John Stott's book, I think it's Basic Christianity. And I was flipping through it, reading it, and I was sitting next to a guy and, and he looked at it and he goes, hey, do they have an advanced version? He says, because I think I've already exhausted the basic part. It was a great conversation because he was very much a, an intellectual and, and, and wanted to debate certain fringe items and topics. And, and it was amazing because the entire topic, the entire purpose and point of the book was to simplify things, to go back to the simple base that God gave us and, and the additional religious junk that we add to remove that. And so that's really what Paul is doing here. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have the exact same Bible as me, it's page 1,346. But nobody does, so tap on your phone to wherever you want to get. But I, I want to list off, because a lot of times basic, depending upon which generation you're from, you would define basic differently. If you're about 15 years younger than me... Basic means something different than if you're my age or 15 years older. So I went to Urban Dictionary because that's where, you know, the latest, that's where Webster's is going to get all their stuff for the next 10 years. Basic, in this case, is something devoid of defining characteristics that might make a person interesting or extraordinary or just simply worth devoting time to. And because of this, it's extremely annoying that there's just so basic. And I thought of this, and I thought of the title, Basic Missionary. And, and when we get into 1 Corinthians 2, we will all see here, at least I hope we all do, that Paul's message, Paul's push that he had here was basic missionary focus. And, and, and the problem that I think we have is that we pick extremes as humans. I, I know, it's a surprise. But we'll pick one side, we'll pick one side, we'll make it so complex with an impossibly surmountable pile of rules and regulations we have to follow. Or we'll go to the other side and say, it's just about loving Jesus. And it's not just that. There's something to that. In English, the word love means something completely different than agapeo from Greek when God talked about that. And the the massiveness of unconditional give-a-care as we define it here. With agapeo. It's beyond what we could ever imagine. And so when we go to the middle and we look at Scripture from the middle and understand that what Paul is saying here is the basis, the foundation of when he came to these people was something basic. And by the way, he uses hyperbole in here. He uses rhetoric in here because this is what the people understood. He's wanting us to realize that the intent of Christianity is not to attach my opinions and my preferences and my principles to it and then shove it into people's faces to sell them on it. It's to share what the true basic gospel is and if I need to, use other tools to make sure it gets across. But the tools are not the goal. The goal is the goal. So if you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start reading here. We're just going to read verses 1 through 5. That's all we're making it through today. That's it. And then we're going to finish the rest of the chapter, let me put it this way, God willing we'll finish the rest of the chapter in a few weeks. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Let me stop there because as was the case in Corinth, if you came and spoke there, you were some religious leader, some sort of person who, who was an orator, you were magical with your words. You were esteemed. You could, you could talk about nothing, the color of dirt. And if you used all the right really big words, people would listen to you. And they'd walk away and go, that was just a really nice message. And it would be nothing transforming in their life. Think. Today. Sunday. How many of us, maybe in the past, maybe even today, Had the same mindset. You know, I really hope he's not boring today. Because, man, that one time, these chairs are already uncomfortable enough. And if I'm not having fun, then this is just pointless. I, I I can empathize on the chairs because I sit here on our prayer and praise nights. And, man, I need God afterwards. I do. These chairs are terrible. But when Paul's talking to the Corinthians here, He has a phrase here, and he says, And I, brethren, if you remember from chapter 1, you don't have to turn back there, but I'm just going to turn there for my own sake. Chapter 1. Paul makes it so clear, he, he hammers out this section of, listen guys, Christianity, the relationship with Christ, it is not about, it is absolutely, positively not about a series of, of things we add where we go, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian, I go to this big church or that small church because ba- big is bad or small is bad or whatever it is. He says, listen, it has to be down to the basic simple truth of this, it's about Jesus. We have to have that foundation, that if we do not have that basis on Jesus first, it's pointless. So he then gets to chapter 2, and he says, and I. It's important for us to realize that. You can even circle that, and I, grammatically, they had to put the and in there, even though in English we don't typically use it, is it's comparative. He says, I'm preaching all of this, guys, and oh, by the way, remember how I was, too. I'm not telling you this because you should do it and I'm just above it. I'm telling you this because I gave you a testimony of that. And here's the first point for this morning. We're only on verse one. Remember, the series is how to play church as we study 1 Corinthians. That's facetious, not prescriptive, by the way, the title of the series. We play church when what we preach isn't what we practice. When we get so caught up and carrying the name of Jesus, we have the t-shirt, we have the stickers, we have the, the Bibles, we have the words, we go to the services, we go to all the services, and, and, and we can quote Bible verses, and we can say, if I asked you, what's the gospel, you would have a, three or four sentences to explain it very simply. But in our own lives, we play church when it's all about the head knowledge. It's all simply about, I'm going to be able to say these things, but we don't let it get to here. We don't let it get to here, where it affects our lives. And so Paul's making it very clear here that I just spent an entire chapter preaching to you guys something, and I didn't end it there. By the way, my testimony when I was with you was, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come acting like a a, a Corinthian where I'm bringing big, huge words. I made it simple. I made it simply about Jesus and how that would transform your life. Verse 2, for I determined, this is hyperbole, by the way, he didn't come there as irrelevant. Irrelevant. Let me finish this verse before I go on a rant. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me make this very clear. This is not directive. I have seen far too many churches and missionaries come in and say, you don't need to know anything about the cultures there. You don't need to worry about what's happening in the community. You just preach Jesus. Absolutely stinking not. He used hyperbole here to say, listen, I wanted it to be so simple, so basic, that nothing confused it. I wasn't going to come just like the regular old Corinthian and give you a bunch of fancy words and you look at it and go, that was a nice sermon, Paul, and walk away. He wanted it to be just so stripped down to the simplistic message that he had there. Why? Because Paul could use a lot of words. He, I think there's like several books in here where there's not even a period. There's not even a comma. He just keeps going and going and going. You're like, Paul, grammar buddy, grammar, grammar Paul. But he didn't do that. He said, listen, I'm going to go to a place that loves people talking a lot, and it's going to mess them up. And he's going to communicate that to them. The other thing that Paul could easily be tempted to do, as a Jew of Jews, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew everything. And he could tie into things. He says he comes as a Jew, and I don't like this Roman or Greek culture here. It makes me uncomfortable the way they live their lives and have these fleshy things that they're involved in. So I'm going to say, Jesus and, I don't like how you say this, or, or you guys shouldn't be talking this way, you shouldn't be using these things, you shouldn't be living this way or saying these things. And, and it's a temptation for all of us that when we're evangelizing, that it's the gospel and Joe, the gospel and whomever. We add to it. And that's when people that don't choose to follow Christ after we've spoken to them, we get offended. Why? Because we attached us to the message. If it was about Jesus, it's between them and Jesus. And we can then go to prayer at that point in time. And I think it's important, as Paul outlines here in verse 2, you'll see the next point up here for this morning. We play church when we're focused on getting our personal opinion across rather than the message of Jesus. Guys, I I just want to make it so clear in such a, a heavy political environment we have right now that conservatism is not Jesus or evangelism or Christianity. They are not synonymous, they are not the same, and they are not to be used for one or the other. We don't use Christianity to push conservatism or liberalism or any ism, and we don't use the opposite to push Christianity. We have to realize that. That when we confuse it and we combine that. And I, and I remember talking to someone saying, you're absolutely right, Pastor. I'm a Christian. And I said, okay, that's, that's awesome. So what is it in your life that proves that? He goes, listen, I will stand for our God-given rights. I said, what's a God-given right? Well, read the Bill of Rights. I said, that's not the Bible. That's not what God said. Well, well, yeah, well you know, you can take those things from my cold, dead hands. I said, that's not even the whole point, And I hate getting in arguments on either side of it all, pro this or anti this. Those are great discussions sometimes, but at the end of the day, God doesn't care what three letters you have after your name if you don't have the stamp of Jesus. It's just that simple. And so Paul said this. He says, listen, I'm not here to go, hey, I'm of this person, I'm of that person. Remember from last week, the whole thing about Corinth was make a name for yourself. It's the weirdest place, too. It's 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 old school graffiti. They're all hammered into stone. Like this is Frank's rock. Literally, that's what they did. It was so so narcissistic. There where, uh, you know this is Frank's rock. He bought this with all of his savings across these these pillars and and, and columns and rows all over the place. We can't really judge them. We love having our names places. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. He says that to be self-deprecating, to minimize himself in the situation, to realize that when someone came and spoke in a Roman or Greek culture, they wouldn't come as something looking weak, or frail, or trembling, they would come with a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of things that stood up and said, this is, this is Joe going to speak, and the microphone would be extra loud, and the speakers would be blaring, and people would be all around, and he would use really big words, like last week's, I can't even remember it, Sesquipedalian. there we go, I think I got it, but he said, no, I was the opposite, and in fact, you can almost hear Paul being somewhat joking in this, going, listen, guys, I came to you, and I was weak based on what you say. You can read 2 Corinthians, and he even says that, that that was that was a joke about Paul. It's like, why would you ever listen to him? He can barely speak. Came to you weak. came you in fear and in much trembling. But I think it's a message for us here as Christians is that so many times I think we're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid, oftentimes, in the church, that someone will have an argument and we won't be able to have an answer. You know what? It's okay, because as Christians, we know that there's only one all-knowing, and it's not you. It's not me. And oftentimes, as some of the most irritating people to a non-Christian, is someone who knows it all. How many of you love know-it-alls? Yeah, the one who raises their hand is like, I do! Yeah, you're the know-it-all. No, I don't know it all. I just think everybody else is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Nervous laughter on that one. <laughs> Here's a couple things to think about. When Paul brings up the way he came as a missionary here, and I think it's a challenge for me as a Christian how we go to the world. You'll see it up on the screen. Another play church statement. We play church when we're not willing to let go of these opinions and these principles and focus first on the gospel. Think about that. That's uncomfortable for some of us. Yeah, I can let go of an opinion, but a principle, Joe? A principle? Well, what principle is worth someone's salvation? What principle? I've I've had debates with people for a long time Long discussions. And and I've just said, I don't have to agree with you. I'm fine with that. I've had discussions about things like Christians and Halloween. And many people have a strong principle on there. You absolutely cannot do that. Why? Why? Why can't I answer the door when the kids show up and give them candy and the gospel? Joe, you're treading on dangerous ground. What ground? Psalm 91. I'm under the shadow of the Most High. Can't touch this. You guys afraid of demons? Then you don't know who's your God. We have a mission. And can we let go of certain things? Not letting go of the absolute truth of God. Absolutely not. You guys know me better than that. But there are some things that we are so comfortable with that we're going, no, I'm standing by that. That's Christian. No, it's not. And Jesus didn't die for Christianity anyways. He died to make his people come to him. By the way, Christian is an insult in the early days. That's why it was talked about so much. It was like, listen, you need to you need to realize that it's not an insult. It's something that 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 is that is amazing that you've been called. Peter talks about it. Persecution, to be called a Christian was an insult. We need to realize that oftentimes we we grip onto opinions and principles and tie them to the gospel. And Paul had the same struggle. That's why he's outlining this going, listen, guys, I had to let go of those things. I came in weakness. I came in fear. I came in trembling. I didn't come going, listen, I'm the Jew of Jews. Jesus was a Jew, and let me tell him about you. I don't know how that rhymed, but it didn't work. That's not what he did. Who even knew who this guy was? Like, hey, look! Like one of the guys kicked out of Rome again. Here comes another Jew. That's all they knew. That's it. Something else to think about this morning. It's questions for us all. And just like normal, as God challenges me with questions, and I struggle through, sometimes grumpily with answering them, I'm going to ask you guys: How important is the mission of the gospel to you? Think. Now, now here, here, here's a question by the way i hated answering this question this week when god brought it up in my devotion time i wrote it in my journal and it was this joe i gave you the spirit and i gave you time how did the gospel get furthered in the past 24 hours by you that was my response that was hard What in my life, how in my life did I arrange the circumstances that no matter what, as much as possible, the message of Jesus got through my life? It's hard to think about. I'm not saying that there's an answer for that where we just go, oh, I got it, Joe, I got it. No, no, there's not an answer. That's a personal response to Jesus. I gave you the power, and I gave you the message, and I gave you the time. How did did it go? That's for each of us to individually answer. Don't even come up to me after the service and say, you know, pastor, I, this is what I did. I don't care. I want you to talk to your Jesus. And think about that. Because, man, if that's our goal, what does it matter that happens all throughout our entire life? That's why you see the psalmist and he says, you know, the very world could fall apart, the foundations could fall apart, but I have my God. And it doesn't make it hurt less, but it makes us hope. And something that's real. First Peter will talk about it later, talks about a living hope. Here's the next thing to think about, and this is this is one that I will tell you I didn't have a good answer for for probably fifteen years, and I still struggle with it today. Am I willing, and I put it in quotes here, to lower myself so that others can be raised up and hear the truth. Am I okay to listen to someone who's 99% not only wrong but against my personal convictions and opinions to think that there's maybe a 1% that they would hear Jesus? Am I willing to do that? Now this whole letter from Paul communicates that. You don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, Paul talks about that. I'll just read real quick for you. If you're a a sped redder, we can go ahead and do that. But verse 19 says, I made myself a servant so that I might win more. I made myself a Jew. That's just like I was under the law so I could get more. I made myself a someone without the law that I might win those who are without the law. I I made myself weak. Why? So I could try and bring some who are weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. That's motivation. That's motivation. And that's the power of the Spirit. It makes us the Renaissance man, the Renaissance woman. Why did he do that? Though? Why was he motivated? Verse 23 says this. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. That's my motivation. That's my drive. Now I, I, I Remember, this is a point in time for Paul. I'm sure before this and after this, he goes, I don't know if I like this whole gospel's sake thing. It's Just like all of us. Paul wasn't perfect. There's only one that's perfect, and it's none of us, and it's not him but it's challenging for me to see the Spirit at work in his life and the things that we're called to in our life. Verse 4, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, go back to chapter 2, we're going to hit verse 4 and 5 now. He says this as he talks about his speaking and his preaching. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not, you can underline that word, not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Why would he differentiate that? Great question. Verse 5, that your faith should not circle, underline, just make it all focused on that, not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. How many of us walked away from Jesus walked away from Christianity because a pastor, another Christian, or someone who we thought was was strong enough let us down. I think all of us could say we struggled or stumbled because of something like that in our life. Again, not to minimize the pain from that kind of stuff. I've had people sit in my office before, don't even go to this church and rant about the church they just left and the treatment that they received while they were there. I don't know all the facts, but a hurt person is a hurt person. And they talked about how when I went up to this pastor and talked to them, or I went to this leader there and talked to them, or I'm related to this person in leadership there and so on, and they just, they treated me like trash. And I said, well, you know what? You should just give up on the church and Christianity because that's obviously the the sample set of how we all are. And that was very uncomfortable because they didn't understand why I was saying that. And I said, I'm joking. Because have you ever gotten, hey, actually, raise your hand. Have any of you ever gotten a bad meal or even all the way worse food poisoning? Anybody? Okay. You're all alive, which means you didn't stop eating. Okay. What did you do? You just didn't eat that way again. I never eat soup at restaurants anymore, though. I, I did cut that out of my life because that's how I got food poisoning one time. It sits in those things for like 10 hours. The same cont- <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. No, we, we, we cut out the junk. It kind of got us there maybe. But we still keep going. We find the right thing there. It's the same for us as Christians. Sometimes people are going to let us down. All that does is expose that we were trusting in man and not in God. That's what we have to realize. Maybe some of you today came in here and you're like, hey, listen, this is the last church I visited. I went to all 473,000 other ones here in Wasilla, and this is the last one I'm visiting, and I'm just going to give a chance, you know, for, come on, pastor, mess it up. I will. I'm going to say a word wrong. I'm going to say Satan instead of Jesus. I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to say something that's offensive. I'm going to be too loud. I'm going to be too quiet. But it's not about me. I want you to hear Jesus. I want you to hear the basic message of the gospel. We're going to get into that in a minute here. But I think one of the things that I want to focus on is now that we've moved into verses 4 and 5, I I saw a message from Paul here. It was for us, and I think it it, it covers this, is that we stop playing church. I, I think we need to realize that God had Paul write these letters, and I think this communicates to us. We stop playing church when our life following Jesus becomes marked by action and results. That shouldn't be a question mark. I'm pretty sure about that point. We stop playing church when our life is marked with activity and results. And and, And I'm not saying action in the sense of, absolutely, Joe, I feel more Christian today than yesterday. That may be the case of God working. But the action and the results that I'm talking about is how much did the gospel advance with the 24 hours and the power of the Spirit and the message of Jesus that I was given? What did it look like? Now, here's what I'm not saying. Never take a break. No. Take some time to rest. Let God fill you. But we are never filled for ourselves. We are filled to be emptied. In fact, the nature of something, when you fill it up, we don't understand this as much in Alaska, but down south, when you fill up a jug and you leave it on the front porch, you're growing mosquitoes, and within six months, because water doesn't freeze naturally down south in, in Florida, where we came from, it turns into this fetid, nasty, just bleh, in a bowl, and it's gross. And you know what? How many of us have been that way in our life, where, God, fill me up, fill me up, and then we just put the cap on it and close it and sit there and go, thank you, God. We do nothing with it. Guys, the stuff that the Spirit fills us with benefits us because it's power. But we were given that to dump it out. That's why we were given that. If you take a hose and you go up and, and you screw it on, this is in a few months for those who haven't been through a winter yet, if you screw it on and you, and you set the hose and, and, you, and you turn on the water. If nothing comes out the other side, are you okay with that? It's like, oh, no, that, that's what a hose is supposed to do. No. Now, you start abusing that hose physically, usually verbally, whatever it is. Like, what is going on here, you know? And you're trying to get stuff out of it, and you're pulling it, and you're, you're turning the water on and off, and you're shaking the hose, and there's that, that little one-foot piece of ice still stuck in there, isn't it? Oh, it's so aggravating. And because it is neither hot nor cold, we want to throw up. We're so angry. Sound familiar? God built us to be hoses that had stuff spraying out of it yes the hose benefits from whatever goes through it but it's supposed to keep getting rid of it why because the holy spirit never runs out he just keeps filling and filling and filling and filling and if we don't empty we don't get what's new we miss out so paul challenges here verses four and five challenges us to have a life marked by action and results Not a life marked by just talk. Not a life marked by fancy words or looking Christian enough or looking religious enough. And here's a challenge for us. Evaluate your life, evaluate my life. Ask yourself Am I all about the talk? Am I about the things that I'm connected to or the principles that I have or the opinions that I have and therefore those make me a Christian? Or is it different? Is it different? Are we teachable? Are we able to hear what God's saying to us? I don't mean this next statement to be self-serving. I do really mean this statement to be impactful for all of us. But we stop playing church when we treat sermons as transforming messages rather than intellectual discussions. And I mean that for me as a pastor. Pastor. I've talked to other pastors and challenged them in their teachings. When I've mentored others on, on teaching or, or, or classes or whatever, when we turn it only into an intellectual discussion, we say, unless you're mentally at my level, you're not valuable. But if we do go to a point where we boil it down and boil it down so that it's sticky and that anybody it touches, it sticks to them somehow, and they get it and they can apply it, that is an effective message. But on the other side, on the receiving side, any time that the scriptures are read, any time that we're gathered together as Christians, any time God is moving and speaking to every single one of us, each one of us today has something that God is speaking to us. We may have already heard it. Like, yeah, I, I got it, Pastor. I've already got a bruise, so let's, let's move on. We're here to hear from God. When we go into our devotion times each day, we're there to hear from God, not to check a box. Why? Because no relationship works that way. None. It's very important to realize that my heart, as I go through and prepare a message, as, as you all are hearing this, that it's transforming to me too. Honestly, I hate being up here if God hasn't touched me with the scriptures that I'm reading. I hate it. Because I'm a fake. That's, that's what I think. I'm not here to transmit information you guys can simply read. Every single one of you knows how to read. If you don't, uh, and I'm being very serious, we'll set up a tutor to help you read better. But I'm assuming that everyone here knows to read, and I'm not here to simply read a bunch of facts. I want to share with you transforming things that God has shown me. And it's important for us to realize that as Christians. Here's the next thing to, to think about. When we think about evangelism, there, there is a transforming power that happens, and it's by God rather than persuasions or even beatings. A lot of times we will see evangelism as it, they're transformed because we tricked them into becoming a Christian. Aha, I got you. I proved that you were wrong. Not to say that persuasion and so on aren't very effective tools. I think we'll get into that later. But none of us, when we came to Christ, tripped into and go, oh, whoa. I believe in Jesus now. You tricked me, silly person. None of us said that. We had to really wrestle with some tough stuff. Some of us today might still be wrestling with whatever that tough thing is. Do we need to be convinced? Well, sure, that comes from facts. That comes from the work of the Spirit. But it doesn't come from extra fanciness to it all. And that's what Paul is, is challenging us here, is that true evangelism comes by allowing the power of God to take the simplistic message of the gospel and get it across. Now, I, I want to kind of pause on that because here's what i a balancing because we've kind of stayed on one side, the simple side of, this, of the, the teeter totter here. I want to go to the other side of it here and I want to put at this point to balance us because here's the danger. Here's the danger. I met someone many years ago that believed that all he had to do was read the gospel and tell people to repent on street corners, and he was doing what Paul said to do, to be simple with the gospel. And I asked him, I said, well, what about the people who may not understand what you're saying? He was, he was reading, actually, the King James Version, and it was very difficult to understand what he was saying when he was yelling and some of the words we just simply don't use today. And I said, well, what about the people who don't understand? He says, well, then obviously they're not meant to be with God. And I said, that is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. What about people who don't even speak English? Your logic doesn't make sense. I was wearing a red shirt. He goes, red Satan's color, get out of here. I said, okay, Beelzebub, I'll leave. But it, it, my sons watched this. They were so angry. They're like, how could that guy say that? And the great thing was is I left in my red truck too. Was, mm. <laughs> so it's not always about just, just, just say the word Jesus and people just fall on their knees. Because we are at war. And so you'll see the next point here. The balance is that persuasion, logic, Words, they are a tool, not the goal. Realize that. Paul didn't forgo the fact of being well-spoken. Although, just to bother a few people in here, no, I'll do it later as a surprise. It'll be a surprise. It hurts better that way. No, he used those things, but his intent was, how do I best get across simply without any confusion message of Jesus. Now, do you think today that we have a lot of noise and confusion in our lives? Oh, tons. Tons. How many of you have a phantom uh, vibrating phone in your pocket every few minutes? I do. I don't even have it in my pocket and my legs vibrating right now like, hey, I got a text. We've got so much noise distracting us in our life. How many of you have ever done like an uh, electronics or a TV or a phone or social media fast how insane do you feel the first day? You're like, oh, what is Frank doing though? Like he was yesterday, he took a picture of a steak. And you can go look through his news feed in a week after you get off of the whatever drugs that you call that stuff. We got noise in our lives. Do we need the gospel to be any more confusing? No. No, and I, and I think Corinth was exactly the same is here today. And Paul's saying, you guys got enough noise. You got gods everywhere, all over the place, just like where I came from in Athens. Let me make it simple. Let me make it clear. And how it applies and how it changes those things, how it answers our questions, those are part of the spirit working. We'll see that later on in chapter 2. We won't get to it today. But here's some goals for us to think about. We need to have a goal that we are delivering the simple, the pure, here's a key word here, the complete, we'll go through that in a minute, the complete gospel. So decisions on that gospel are made because of a move of God, not because he was a fancy talker. That's so important. You guys have seen some of those jokes or those skits where someone gets up talking and all of a sudden all the eyes are glazed over and then someone gets up and says, hey, well, what would you guys think of that? And everybody, uh, it was good. He used big words. So it must have been smart. But what are you going to do about what you heard? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I challenge every one of you guys after every message that you hear, whether it's here or a podcast you listen to or a devotional that you read, just say, so what? What, 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 what am I going to do with what I just heard? Why does it matter? In in my mind, if I listen to something and I'm thinking, I I can't apply this. This doesn't make sense to me. I just skip it. And maybe I'm just a jerk. I don't know. Or also a jerk. I don't know. But it's important for us to realize that God doesn't build his message on top of a man. He didn't build something where he needed us. The gospel, here's the beautiful thing of it. It doesn't need me. doesn't need you at all. But for some reason, our God, and sometimes I question it, and I shouldn't, wanted us to be involved in sharing it. And if you've ever had the opportunity to pray with someone to come back to Christ or come to Christ for the first time, oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you hadn't, you are missing out. That is good crack. Run after it. Seriously. That is what it's all about. Every other purpose in life begins to start to, to shrink and minimize when we all of a sudden see a life turned around for Jesus Christ. Every other purpose and focus begins to, to fade. All the issues that we saw in our life, all the problems we were seeing that day, all of a sudden don't exist when we're praying and someone says, I want Jesus. And then we disciple them when we mentor them closer and closer to that God that they just accepted. That's power. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, guys, I wasn't here to just speak words, and you guys to give me an applause at the end and go, that was wonderful, Paul, great speech. No. He says, after, the, after I got done just bumbling around, fearful and just simple, I watched the Holy Spirit move, and you guys accepted Jesus. And that's what it's about, guys. Don't go making it about associations. Don't go making it about fanciness. But here's the unfortunate nature of the church in America today. Sadly, because we have so much influence, it's spread elsewhere. We've made the gospel. We've made Christianity. Really, we've made Christianity and the church the goal. And in fact, the message of the cross is very confusing coming from our own mouths. Here's what we will typically say, and I'm just as guilty Here's what we will say to someone who's not a Christian. The average church person, if they were asked to communicate the gospel, here's what we would say. You have sin. You need to get it forgiven. You're going to go to hell. Jesus can forgive you and let you into heaven. Sounds good. Sounds like what we all understand is the gospel. But take off churchianity glasses. Take off Christianese ears. And you're listening to that going, what? What do you mean sin? Okay, yeah, it's a bad thing. Why does that even matter? I'm literally in my home. It's in my head. How does anybody get hurt? What what does this matter? Who cares? What what do you mean going to hell? Why does Jesus all of a sudden, this, this thing that I barely believe in anyways, why does this thing even make any change in my life? These are the conversations that I think we've all had. Why does it matter? I think we struggle with it because... We've gotten comfortable, because I can say that to another Christian, and what are they going to say? And we should, amen, because that is truth, but it's only part of the truth. It's only part of the truth. If you were in a restaurant, and you went up to a friend of yours, and you said, hey, how you doing? And they looked at you and said, red, you'd have no clue what they were talking about, would you? No, because you don't have the context. But if you had a secret language together, and red meant bad, and green meant good, and you said, hey, how you doing? They went red. You go, oh, what's wrong? Can I help you? That's just like us in the church. We take our secret language of Christianese, and we carry it out to the world and go, well, you need Jesus because you have sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Prove it. Well, you didn't obey the Ten Commandments. Don't believe in the Bible. Well, you just need to. Because that's what we do, isn't it? I'll raise my hand first. Uh, you, you guys want to watch and feel very sad for where we've gotten, unfortunately, in this country? Go watch videos and look for the title Atheist Destroys Christian. Because it happens too often, and it doesn't have to. I'm not saying this to be mean to Christians and be pro atheist at all. We have the ability to speak intelligently. So here's what I want to do today. And, and this, is, this is something that's not normal. This is where God paused me. I want to do two things. I want to speak to Christians to help us broaden the complete gospel message. Because the gospel isn't just, Jesus died for your sins. is isn't just, no, I'm not a heretic, calm down. There's more to that message. Not because it's Jesus and, but it's more to what's being accomplished So I want to speak to Christians so we can really know what we believe. And we're going to go to Scripture with it, Where we're going to use other things, logic, and tie phrases together that just simply make sense with other things. Here's the other part. If you're not a Christian or you've walked away from God, please listen carefully. Christian, be praying for them. Listen to what is being said because this is the raw truth of Jesus. See, when we, when we as Christians speak something that's somewhat confusing, here's the problems that we end up seeing. Number one, we end up seeing a partial story of the problem. When we only say, Jesus died for your sins, you need to, to get them forgiven or you're going to go to hell. It's true. I will never say that's not true. But it's incomplete for all of us to really understand the detail of what Christ did. Here's the next problem that comes up. It's confusing to the unchurched. I just went through all the things of of what that means. It's very confusing. Imagine the missionaries that came over from Europe and hit South America and said, you you need Jesus. What? They didn't even speak the same languages. There was a lot of work that had to go into communicating the depravity that we were in without the salvation of our God who came to us. Here's the next thing that happens. When When we don't have that complete, sin ends up being something that's mysterious And not actually tangible, not something that is real, that affects our lives, that is a choice that we have. Next, we end up giving or receiving or having unbalanced hope. Here's what I mean when I say unbalanced hope. Some of the gospel messages many of us have heard and maybe even said, say, God has a great plan for your life. And then they become a Christian, and literally all hell breaks loose. And they go, "Whoops, never mind, wrong door. Close in, and walk to the next one." And then the other unbalanced hope side is that you need to become a Christian because all hell is going to break loose in your life if you don't do it. Okay, fine, I'll accept Jesus. And then you get out of that and you go, "Huh, I guess I didn't need him." Here is the balance. All hell will break loose, now and forever. We need Jesus, now and forever. That's the balanced hope. So let's go into that from Scripture. Let's, let's look at this discussion. Many, many people... Actually, <clears throat> we're going to do some role-playing. All right, you guys excited? Yay! All right, you guys are going to all be skeptics, Okay? You just have to ask the word why or so what or give me that kind of I mean you can do that like one eyebrow up thing. Oh there we go. We got two eyebrows up here. Roll your eyes. There we go again. You guys are gonna play skeptics on this, all right? So I'm gonna read some verses. I'm gonna give you some standpoints that typically we would have as Christians, and I wanna challenge us to add more completeness to this scripture. As we look at it, so here's the first thing. Remember, you're all skeptics, okay? You're all skeptics. Question what I'm saying, okay? You Guys, are like man, I've been waiting for this, Joe. Here we go. Romans three twenty three. Everyone has sinned. No one measures up to God's glory. How many of us have never seen that verse? And I'm very serious. Good. We've all heard it. All of sin falls short of the glory of God, right? We've heard this before. So let's think about this. The token point that a lot of times we give is that everyone sinned. And we stop there. Now, would anybody disagree with that? No, because it's right there. Okay? Everyone has sinned. But sometimes we miss that second part. No one measures up to God's glory. I don't mean this to be a short joke. I apologize for anybody who doesn't have the gift of sorry, who doesn't, all right, what God's saying is this, from a glory perspective, you must be this tall to get on the ride, okay? I'm not even going to look at the people, I'm just going to look down. (laughs) You must be this tall to get on the ride, and God says, you guys ain't measuring up, but I'm jumping. Okay, you're still not measuring up. Yes, we all have sinned, That's the duh statement here for us as Christians. And a lot of times that's all we will use. I'm not making this an accusation. This is where God took me through. We all are sinners. That's the token point we'll pull from this verse. But here's really the key that I think God's trying to get across. Our own effort is insufficient to reduce the weight of guilt and jump far enough to get to our creator. That's what you saw there, Joe? Yes, that's what's there. You don't measure up. I've got a backpack with 400 pounds in it. I'm going to try and jump and land on that chair. No, I'm not literally going to do that. But I'm not going to make it. I'm I'm going to just as fast as I can and I'm going to miss it every time. Why? Because I've got a guilt pack on my back. And I can't make it. Why? Because all have sinned. What does that mean? Everyone's got a guilt backpack. Everyone stands guilty at that point. It's not just all have sinned. It's the implications of that is that we will never measure up. We can't put in enough effort to get there. I can't forgive myself. I can't love myself enough. I can't do enough nice things to get rid of my problems because they're my problems. And who do I owe that to, that guilt? The one who I did it against. If I sinned against Joe in the very back and Aaron came up to me and said, I forgive you, it doesn't matter to Joe. Unless someone who was a represent representative of Joe and exactly the same as Joe came and said, I forgive you. That's the only way it works. So we have something we owe, we have a weight that we can't fix, we can't take care of. We must be this tall to ride, and it doesn't matter how many lifts or how many jumps we do, we're not getting there. We're not. So here's the next piece for us to think about. We then continue through scriptures, and you see John three sixteen. Anybody not seen John three sixteen? We've all seen John three sixteen. We see it on signs, we see it on people's uh, faces and in, in, in uh, paint and all kinds of stuff. We see it everywhere. But realistically, what's going on here? This is a massive theological verse. I wish I had time to go into it. We could talk for weeks about what's happening here. For God so agapeoed unconditionally loved the world that while we were sinners, he did all of this, that he gave his only begotten son. Now, here's the problem with that. We put on a sappy human picture here. Poor guy, he lost his son. No. If you read the book of Daniel and you read the book of Job, God had many sons, so why does it say only begotten? The word begotten is a King James word. It's actually the most powerful English word we could use for a Greek word that was monogenes. I'm going to get greek on you, but listen. Monogenes, which means this, the only unique, one-of-a-kind, never-before-never-again son. Now, for the sake of brevity and sanity, they said begotten. But the power of this is that this was a snub to the face of every divine power out there. That he gave his only begotten son, this one-of-a-kind solution, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, if you think of Romans 3.23, I didn't read anything about perishing. In fact, in here, I don't even see the word sin in that verse. So why am I perishing? What's the problem that we have here? Well, the token point that a lot of us will give, and it is true, but it's lacking, believe in Jesus to be saved. I believe that. I know that. I do that. Daily do that. We all do that. We understand that. But what does that really mean in in accordance with John 3.16? Here's the problems with that, just saying that statement. What did Jesus get given for? He loved the world, so he gave his son. Uh, I didn't ask for him, so why is he giving him? What's the problem? What's the issue that we're trying to fix here, Joe? What are we saved from? Okay, perishing, but like, like am I going to be immortal now? Like I can, I can like jump real high, and people can shoot me and I won't die? Like, What are we talking about here? What does this really mean? Those are great questions, skeptics. Those are really good. I like your questions. So here's the full message. We're going to go to the next verse. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18 says this, Christ suffered for our sins. Okay, now we're seeing a little bit more of what happened. That Christ suffered for our sins. There is judgment that was coming. Remember, there's judgment that was coming once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Now, we can't minimize this and go, yeah, that's that's Jesus. He died for our sins, and, and then he's brought to life. No, there are massive theological statements here. There are huge salvation message pictures here. We have to get every single one. So here's the first one. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. Why is that a big deal? Because he didn't have a sin backpack. So he could take all of ours. There was nothing he had between him and the Father. So he could go ahead and go, hey, I got all these. I'm doing it. they weren't his they weren't holding him back so he was able to do that it was a total coup against the spiritual system that was in place and the token point a lot of times that we give and we'll go into this even deeper the token point a lot of times that we give is that christ died for your sins again important again true again powerful but missing pieces for some of the puzzle Because here's what we have to define. First off, we have to define sin. Sin equals worship. How do you say that, Joe? Anything we do as a human is an act of worship. Why do you say that? That's what we were created to do. Chris Tomlin sang it in the psalm because he's quoting scripture. You and I were made to worship. Our function in life is to worship. Our function in life, Scripture even says in other places, is to bring glory to God. That is to give worth and honor up to our Creator. That's it. Well, I don't know about that. I don't really want to do that. I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about our entire life is focused on proclaiming the worth of that which we are pointing at. Sin is using our worship for other things, other beings, other, maybe it's just ourself. Maybe it's nothing at all. Sin is a worship problem. We are using what God designed wrongly. And the reason that that we have to understand that is the next piece, is that if we are dying in sin, if we're dying in the worship, the wrong worship, we die in the worship of another. Let me say it differently. Wherever you're driving, that's where you end up. We're not going to drive north on the Parks Highway and act surprised and go, wait a second, this isn't Miami? No, we're going to get to Fairbanks and go, oh, it's Fairbanks. And like most of us like to do, we turn around and come back. (laughs) Or the other way, we drive down south to the other town, North Seattle or whatever. (laughs) If we die while we're giving worth to something other than Yahweh, our Creator, then that's who we go with. If we're driving down the road, towards a destination. When we get to the end of that road, we are at that destination. Makes sense. In fact, we trust that's the case when we get on the road. We don't start driving towards Fairbanks and go, man, I hope I don't end up in Anchorage again. "Mm, This happens every time. I always get confused at the end of the road. No. We trust that the road is going to take us where it says it's going to take us. And when we end up there, we don't act surprised going, what am I doing in Anchorage? If we went the wrong way, we went the wrong way. So here's the next thing. The full message of what's here in 1 Peter is that a sinless Jesus took on all the sins in judgment, made the jump. I'm going to see if I can at least get over there just by stepping. No, I'm not. I'm going to stand here like I jumped, okay? And reaches his hand down to pull up all who want it. He made it. We all sat back. First Peter later on goes after these verses that we just read here and says he accomplished all of this. And when he was done and when he was in hell, he preached to those souls there who were lost. And what was he preaching? The message that I did it. I did it. It's accomplished. What Romans 3.23 said none of us could do, he did. He did it. And that's why when we look at the Christian life, none of us can stand here in the same place where Jesus, who picked us up and go, hey, look what I did, guys. I can't believe, you dirty people over there, you should be able to jump over here like I didn't. No. We look at it and stop and go, I didn't deserve this either, but here's the guy right here. Just grab his hand and he'll pull you over. That's all evangelism is. Is it sharing that message? No, none of us are good enough. We never will be. You can keep trying. In fact, here you go. Gift for someone in here. You can be gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I still got a backpack full of weight that'll never let me jump that far. Here's something for us to think about as Christians. We owe him. We owe him. Do we live like someone died for us? Can you imagine? You're standing in the road and some guy come along and just pushes you out of the way, gets run over by the truck, and you don't. You do everything you can to take care of that person, that family, that name. You, you put up a sign, you know, Frank saved me here, This is and a picture, and, you know, and candles, and everything amazing to make sure this guy gets this, this, this honor for what happened. But with Jesus... Who died to save our life now and for the future coming, to be back with our Creator. Do we live like someone died for us? That's impactful. It's important. And I think it's important that we understand from the gospel than the victory in First Peter that said here is that give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a hope that is alive. Now, we're not Jewish, so we don't understand this. We're not pre-resurrection, so we don't understand this. So let me rewind our brains for us today. Pre-Jesus, no one got out of death. You're dead, which means you're dead. It wasn't until Jesus died, went to hell, and emptied out part of it for those that had been waiting. What do you mean by that? There's multiple parables that Jesus talks about to show that. And when Jesus died, when you read the Gospels, what do you see? Family members walking around the street that had died a long time ago. What's going on with that? Jesus got done freeing them from, the key, from, from death and hell. He took the keys to death and hell. And the power in that is that he rose again. He's not a dead hope where like, yeah, Jesus was a good guy. He taught some neat things. no. He's a living hope. And for those of us post-resurrection, we live in that hope. We're not expecting it, man. I sure hope the Messiah comes. He's here. It's happened. We have a living hope that we can rest in. A hope that has the victory. Here's the next part of that. For a Christian, that motivates us. Why? Because if I die, that's not the end. It's simply part of it all. whoa! whoa, whoa wait a second, Joe, because I, I need you to understand. I'm really afraid to do certain things in my life. Why? What's the worst that'll happen? You'll live? Because it is. Best case scenario is that I die and be with my Jesus, just like Paul said. And he was torn between the two. He's like, man, I love being here, and I know it's beneficial for you. But I'd much rather be over here, too, with Jesus. I really would. And he was torn between those two things. His motivation to be with Christ was such a drive and then his love because of the love of Christ with him was also such a drive that no matter no matter what whether he lives or whether he dies i'm here for the glory of god because whether i'm alive here in the body i give glory or i'm alive here in the spirit i give glory my whole focus is giving glory to god and at the end of this physical life i have a hope so what's stopping us from going all out what's stopping us i don't i don't, I don't. I couldn't answer that question sometimes. What's stopping you from saying something to the person that needs to hear it? We've got people in here in this church right now today who had a family member die suddenly. Wasn't even expected. Are we talking to those people? Are we having those conversations with people? What are the things that we're doing? What's the worst that would happen? We'd live. Cuz there's nothing else to the token point a lot of times for this verse is that we just say we have hope because of Jesus. And I agree with that. But there's such a theological foundation we have to set that really what it comes down to is that we have a hope that is alive and death is not the end. That's the hope that the Scripture tells us. That's the truth that the Scripture tells us. And here's what I want to close with this morning. In the book of Acts... You can write this down. You can turn there if you want to. I just wanted to read from this version and, and kind of click through it with you all. Let me give you a, a quick backstory. This is the beginning of the church, this is the beginning of why Jesus died to have God back with us again through the power of the, the Holy Spirit being in us. And the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, and God is filling his people again. And they start speaking in all the languages of the people that are there. They're speaking in this language, and they're hearing Jesus. They're speaking in this language, and they're hearing Jesus. And they're speaking in this language, and they're hearing Jesus. What was the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit? To speak the gospel. So they spoke the gospel. And what happened? They were cut. And it says this. So let everyone, this is the end of Peter's amazing sermon, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus Whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. The Greek word there is supreme master and Messiah. Then he says in the next verse, Peter's words pierced their hearts, not their heads, their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What are we going to do? Some, some versions say, "What must we do to be saved? What do we got to do to be saved? What are we going to do to be a Christian?" Next verse, Peter goes, "Well, you got to go ahead and sign this card. You got to join this church here, and we're going to the pastor's going to send you a note, and you'll become a Christian. Then, at that point, he'll give you a card that you'll show in heaven. Make sure it's laminated because you don't want it to get dirty. And then you got to get a seat assigned to you, and you'll get a special T-shirt and everything else." No, what did he say? By the way, most of these people were leaving the country in a few days when the celebration was over. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, repent and turn from your worship that is being used wrongly and use your worship rightly and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, baptism is spiritual first, then physical. For the forgiveness of sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will reside in you again which is how he designed it. It's huge. There's no list of things to say, well, in order to be baptized, you have to do this. Nothing. There's no list of, well, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to do this. Nothing. In fact, salvation happened before the filling of the Spirit. God said, I come to you and be the sign of that. The evidence of that was the Spirit in them, and that was it. Amazing power that happened. And, And the next few verses, you'll see here this next verse, this promises to you, to your children, and to those afar away. This is a Jew saying that access to Yahweh is available to anyone. That's massive. Massive. I hate anyone who's not a Jew. Was a great quote you could use and be buddies with a Jew. But he says this this is anybody. Anybody. It's now accessible. And so you see here in the next few verses thousands of people came to Christ that day. The simple message of Jesus. says, so Put your Bibles and your notes away, because I'm going to close with a prayer. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I didn't come to speak fancy. I came and did anything I could to keep the simple message of Jesus the focus. So here's what I want to challenge us this morning. Let's, let's all bow our heads because I want to pray. I want to pray with, with two people, not in number but in type. Here's the first type of person. Here's the first person. You do not right now. I don't care. I don't care. Five years old, I accepted Jesus. I don't care. I want to know right now. Do you need to repent and ask for forgiveness for the wrong worship that's been in your life, the sin? Raise your hand, and I'd love to pray with you to be back. Amen, amen, amen. Anyone else? It's time to devote your heart and life and your convictions to him. To take take the desire to worship something, to give everything you have in your heart and in your mind and in your soul to something that matters and give it to your creator. Anyone else this morning? Here's the second thing I want to pray about. Some of us as Christians either never have or are too afraid or feel like we're inadequate to share the gospel. Remember, we talked about two points in Telling Life What to Do series, and we said that there is one job to know God, and job number two is to make him known. If you right now this morning want that boldness to share the simple message of Jesus, raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you also. Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else? Because here's, here's what's communicated, just to be very blunt. If you have your hand down on that, you have that boldness, and praise God for that. But if you don't, I just want to pray with you. I'm a brother. Don't call me Pastor Joe. Just call me Joe. I'm a brother here. I want to pray with you for that power and boldness. Anybody else? Amen, amen, amen. God, you are so amazing. I thank you for your work this morning. For those that raised your hands, it's really the same prayer for all of us because it's a, it's a devotion, it's a worship problem. So you can pray this quietly in your seat. Say, God, I'm sorry. I, I let the weight of sin, the weight of guilt, take me over. Please forgive me, God. Please fill me with your spirit. Please give me boldness to take what I know about you and tell those that don't know you. Please, God, give me the strength. Give me the words. Give me the perseverance. And give me the love to do your work.